Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September 29th, 2014, and this is episode 1436 of the Survival Podcast. Um, it is Monday, Monday Glum Day, so we have Listener Feedback Monday. This is where you send me your emails to jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Again, the email, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Some people would say thesurvivalpodcast.com. And that is my main email. It is the best way to get a hold of me for anything. But if you're sending me something for a show like this, put question for Jack, comment for Jack, subject for Jack, video for Jack, story for Jack, you get it. One word followed by the words for Jack in the subject line, and I'll be more likely to uh, to get it and to vet it. And to dig it out of the spam box if the spam monster eats it, which does happen from time to time. I have to say, because people follow the formula, question for Jack, comment for Jack, etc., I probably dig two dozen of these things out of the spam box every week. I don't know why they end up in there, but they do. And uh, I usually add your email then to my white list so that it doesn't happen again. But follow the instructions, guys. It's how I help you help me. Anyway. Before I get to your feedback, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one today, BulkAmmo.com. Hey, I'll tell you how it works. Sooner or later, the gun grabbers find another excuse to talk about grabbing guns. Then everybody freaks out. When everybody freaks out, the price of guns and ammo goes up and the availability goes down. The availability and price of ammo goes up, or the, I'd say the price goes up and the availability goes down even faster than guns themselves. But about the only thing that, that goes faster with a down availability and up in price than, than uh, ammo during one of these things is magazines. So ammo, it makes sense to buy when times are not hysterical like they are right now to stock up on them. Your ammo has no shelf life. Don't believe the internet myth that the federal government changed the primers, man. It's not true. It's just not. If you've ever heard it, don't even worry about it. If you've heard it, it's bullshit. Um, <laughs> but this is the time to stock up on your ammo. When I stock up on my ammo, I go to Bulk Ammo because they have lightning fast shipping, great service, and great pricing. Check them out today, BulkAmmo.com. Next up today, the original survival podcast sponsor, uh, SafeCastle Royal. Vic Rontala and his crew over there are just great guys. They've been with us since the very, very, very beginning. In fact, before uh, Safe Castle was a sponsor, they were already asking to be a sponsor when there were no sponsors. They are just awesome guys. They do a great job. They have a great selection, and they give away their discount membership, which is a lifetime product. It's worth $49. bucks. They give it for free to all members of My Support Brigade. That makes your first year a buck if you're paying full price because you're not a first responder. So they're just an incredible sponsor that's been with us now for five and a half years. Most podcasts don't last five and a half years, let alone relationships with podcasts and sponsors. They're loyal to us, so be loyal to them, and they've got everything for your prepping needs. Bulk Ammo also gives you a discount if you are a member of the Support Brigade, so do consider joining the Support Brigade today if you have not in the past. You can learn more. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. Support the show for 18.3 cents an episode. If at the end of it you think, hey, yeah, that's worth two dimes. Uh, let's now talk about 
Monday's prepper scenario and last Monday's prepper scenario. Remember, I give you guys a scenario, something that actually might, could, and even would be highly likely to happen to some members of this audience at some time in the near future. I don't want it to happen, but these are likely scenarios. These are not end-of-the-world scenarios. And then you guys come and tell me in the comments section for today's show, again, which is 1436, what would you do in this scenario? And I also read last week's scenario and tell you what I would do with last week's scenario. So last week's scenario was this. A serious illness of some form has gone into true epidemic mode. The government and the CDC have imposed a quarantine. There's to be no travel or movement in your area for 30 days. If you are away from home, you are permitted to travel home, but once there, you must stay put. If you are home now, you must stay. No last-minute trips to the store, which is likely a shambles anyway. You can't go to work. You and your family just have to stick it out for 30 days, maybe more. What would you do, including how to keep sanitation in check and how to keep morale up? A lot of you guys chimed in on this one, and you were like, well, we've got the stuff, so we're fine for 30 days. I really wanted more input from you guys on where are your weaknesses and how you would keep sanitation and morale up. 30 days you can't leave. Some of you are living a very much an off-grid homestead lifestyle where you're composting and doing all this stuff and recycling anyway. And you don't have a lot of new garbage because you can't bring anything new in. So it wouldn't be that big a deal. But for some people, this is a big deal. The other one that no one addressed was morale. How would you, you, you can't leave, especially you guys with kids, can't leave for 30 days. Yes, the power works. Yes, the toilets work. Everything else is pretty much working. But you and your family have to stay put for 30 days. How would you keep things engaging, keep from, like, I don't know, wanting to stab each other with screwdrivers, things like that? Uh, I'd like to actually hear some of you guys maybe take that up this week and add to this week's prepper scenario, because I, I feel like I gave a, like, this is a class, and I gave an assignment, and no one took this one seriously. Uh, because there wasn't, nobody seemed to really go into an analysis mode here. Um, I'll tell you what, what I discovered here. Like, 30 days for me and the wife and the dogs, yeah, we're fine, okay? Um 30 days for the chickens. We're running this flow where we have a ton of chicken feed, and we get pretty low before we resupply just because we don't feel like doing it. And that's something we need to shore up a little bit. Now, yeah, they could go for quite a while on their own, and hell, we could just... I've got a bunch of roosters that need to be killing. I just haven't made time to kill them, so I would have probably killed them immediately. That would have gave me something to do, by the way, uh, and, and plenty of extra meat during that time without going into stores. So it would have been a problem that was a solution. But in the end, I mean, the rest of these birds, they have to be fed. Um, I don't have enough forage to keep a flock the size that we have going right now. It was a long-term situation. We could just call a flock down uh, so that they could live more off the land and, and ration the food. And that's partly what I need. Again, with the roosters we have, we need to do anyway. But we went out this week and we bought some big, tough garbage cans so that we could just store, without worrying about rats and mice and stuff getting into the bags, more feed than we had been. So that's that's kind of what we took away from it. Morale for us, we've got so much to do here. Um, the fact that we can't leave would not change things that much. I think the hardest thing would be uh, Dorothy not being able to spend time with her, her father. In this scenario, it may very well have been that if it was going to be that long, that one of us would have had to retrieve him. It probably would have made more of a sense for the folks that, that her brother and sister, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and her sister uh, down there that are only 10 miles away to have done it. But whether or not they would have been able to, I don't know. So that would be an issue, too. An older parent uh, that relies on caregivers who would not be coming. So that's, that's an issue for us. And that's a morale issue, too, because Dorothy worries about her dad all the time. So... I'm challenging you guys, like a class here, to to take that one a little bit deeper, but I'm still going to give you this one. Because I think that people that were 
squared away for 30 days. Didn't really think about the implications of being home for 30 days. I'm going to lock you at home again to help you with it, with today's scenario. And you can change this to a hurricane if you live in a place where an ice storm would never happen. I'll bet less than 5% of you really live in a place like that, though. I live in Dallas, and I've seen plenty of them. The scenario I'm about to give you, uh, I've been through parts of it, never quite as bad as I'm going to make it today, but I know people in the audience who have been through worse than what I'm going to give you uh, in the past few years. So this is not a far-out scenario at all. And I would say that we went through 80% of this scenario a couple of years ago in Arkansas and probably 40% of this scenario just last year right here in Texas. So here's the scenario. An ice storm hits your area. There's no electricity and won't be for weeks. Movement is all but impossible. Even with chains, most roads are blocked by multiple downed trees. The forecast is bitter for bitterly cold weather for the next week or so. Highs will be below freezing. The highs will be below freezing. Power companies say power will be out for up to three weeks for some customers, and in this case, that includes you. It will be at least a week before you can get out and about. At that time, supplies, gas, etc. will be short, and many stores will still be closed anyway for another week due to no power, damage, folks not being able to come to work, etc. What do you do, including sanitation, animal needs if applicable, heat, motivation, and morale, etc.? So I've locked you home this time for three weeks instead of 30 days in a totally different scenario. Instead of all your stuff works like last time, you have no power. It's very, very cold. You really can't go anywhere. And if you have, let me just make this one real for you. If you have a great big pile of wood that you keep for wood heat and you don't have it in a woodshed or something like that, it's now buried under several inches of thick, solid ice that you'd have to beat off with a sledgehammer if you can get to it. I near broke my neck last year just opening the gate out here, going down on the hard ice. We didn't have ice on just hard surfaces. My entire field was iced four inches deep. It was like a skating rink. It was hard for the dogs to even go out to pee. Both of them hurt themselves and were limping. We had to figure out ways to deal with that. Like I said, this is not a far-out scenario, and ice is one of the worst threats out there with these short- and mid-term prepper uh, situations. So take this one seriously, and if you can for me, guys, go back and think a little bit more about where your weaknesses are. The purpose of these is not to say, look how much I've done, but to find where you're weak. That's why I try to share with you at least one place where we're weak every week in my review. Uh, now let's real quick cover the year that was the episode. The year that was the episode, the year was 1436, because that's the episode Alex Shrugged has for us today. Hussite Wars, all things in moderation. The All Saints Day Flood and the Beverly Hills of Germany. And the Florence Cathedral. I'm going to read the All Saints Day Flood and the Beverly Hills of Germany. The German Bay of the North Sea, the German Bight, extends from the mouth of the river Elbe to the Jutland Peninsula, which is mostly Denmark. A massive storm surge on November 1st, All Saints Day, has wiped out several coastal towns. 180 people have drowned in Tittenbull, and the town of Edom on the island of Silt is inundated. Edom has been rebuilt over and over again, but the townspeople have had it. They've packed up and moved two kilometers inland establishing the town of Westerland. The few buildings that remain in Edom will sink below the waves by the 1800s. So much of the island coastline of Silt has been lost to storm surges that Westerland is now a coastal town. 
It is also a result, a resort for the jet set. That is why it is called the Beverly Hills of Germany. Its economy is based on tourism, and it can only be reached by ferry or over a bridge by passenger train. Oddly, for such a ritzy resort setting, camping is allowed on the island. I want to put this in perspective for you guys. Two kilometers. I know, this is not the metric world. This is the imperial world. Yes, the imperial measurement system, that's really what it's called. But two kilometers is 1.24 miles. These people said, I've had enough of this crap. I'm not rebuilding this only to watch it be flooded again. And they said, screw it, and they left. They went a mile and a quarter inland, and they now live on the coast. Got some oceanfront property in Arizona. Yeah, I can't sing, but you get it, right? It's literally what happened. This is not a coastal town. Now it's a coastal town. Um, this was in 1436, and all of this coming up to being, you know, sunk is in 1800. Uh, there was no global warming, and there was no CO2 footprints. In fact... The seas rose during what was largely a big part of this period, which we'll hear about in a little while, the Little Ice Age. So, just because water goes up somewhere doesn't mean that somebody put one too many incandescent light bulbs on. I'm just saying, it is a lesson from history, whether you want to accept it or not, that things like coastlines change and temperatures change and climates change. And we need to be focused more, no matter what you believe about climate change, on adapting to it rather than what caused it. Because I'm going to tell you this again for the true believers that are still out there. Okay, Whether you believe it or not, I don't care how much propaganda you hear in the name of taxing people. The people in power are not going to stop burning coal. They're not going to stop burning oil. And they're not going to stop burning natural gas. And you can't do it because you will have wailing, screaming, gnashing of teeth, and dead people all over the world if you try to do it rapidly. It ain't going to happen, and you ain't going to see peak oil, and you're going to see fossil fuels being burned for another 50 to 70 years. At least, at least, at least, at least. It ain't going to change. No matter what anybody says, no matter how much anybody pickets, no matter anything. And the very people picketing, as soon as you started to cut it back off, would start screaming, we're going to save people's lives. They would be right, finally. So the climate will change well, no matter what the cause is. We need to be more adaptable because you're going to hear today about some things going on that aren't necessarily directly with climate change, but resiliency and being able to feed ourselves. That's my take, the year 1436 and the All Saints Day flood in the Beverly Hills of Germany. So there you go. Let's uh, now get into the main topic of today's show. Again, this is all from your feedback. Sometimes, though, I don't take an email. Sometimes I see chatter on the blog, and I respond to it on the show, not just on the blog. So there was a guy today that commented on the Sidekick app, which is an app that allows people who are in conversations with law enforcement to turn it on, stream video and audio to two separate Secure servers. It's not, it's not available. It's in development. That's why it's on Indiegogo and, and people are helping to get this built. And if you want, you can add at any time connection to a lawyer and seek legal counsel. And the guy had some concerns about that. This was a police officer, been a police officer for 20 years and they're valid concerns. And it's, I think it has a lot to do with how the, the technology is used. I'm not going to get into that today though. He opened up with something that I, I am absolutely fed up hearing law enforcement officers say. And if you're a law enforcement officer, I'm not going to snap out today. I'm not going to yell at you. I promise. 
but I would like you very much to please hear and understand what I'm about to tell you. And the commenter's name is Matt66, and he didn't really do anything wrong, at least to his knowledge. He doesn't get it. That's why I'm covering this today. His open. I've been a police officer for 20 years now, and I fully admit there are, quote, bad apples, end quote, like the ones we're talking about. Luckily, I've had the privilege of working with a group of good apples, and I've never put in a situation where I needed to step up and stop an officer from doing something stupid. I really think you're blessed if that's the case, and I wonder if you are because you've used a term that I am absolutely fed up with law enforcement officers using bad apples. I think if you're in law enforcement and when you hear about an abusive, oath-breaking criminal, you refer to them as a bad apple. You are directly insulting every person who's ever been abused by a law enforcement officer. It might as well be to their face, and you might as well be spitting in their face. I know you don't understand that. That's why I'm going to try to explain it to you with a few analogies today. Okay? Bad apples is a mitigating comment. It is the thin blue line feeling compelled to be an apologist for criminal behavior in their ranks. Make no mistake about it. If a law enforcement officer violates the rights of a citizen, whether or not prosecuted as such, it is criminal behavior, the very thing that all of you pledge to go out there and protect society from. And when you say something like bad apples, you know who's a bad apple? Remember Leave it to Beaver, right? You know, you had Beaver, and you had Wally, his brother, you know, and you, you, you had Mom and Dad, right? Was it Jude and, and Ward Cleaver? And then the bad apple was Eddie Haskell, who was like really nice to Mom and Dad to their face, but he was always up to something a little shysterous. Right? But he wasn't really harmful. That's a bad apple. That's a bad apple. Okay? And that's what, that's what the imagery of a bad apple is. You know, kind of a knucklehead or something like that. Okay? That is not what a person with a badge that bequeaths the authority of the state and the trust of society who breaks their oath is. They are not a bad apple. They are an oath breaking criminal. And all of you cops that say you're good cops and you do the right thing, as long as you refer to them as knuckleheads and bad apples and a few bad guys here and there, instead of oath-breaking criminal, you are apologizing for their behavior, and it's just like this. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine, I'm going to say this to the male officers, because I think there is a little bit more of, of the abuse from that end, but and I think it's a little bit more punch in the stomach, but you could flip this around if you're a female officer and say this happened to your child instead of your spouse. Imagine that a man rapes your wife. If you're a female officer, rapes your daughter. And in discussions about this, your daughter or your wife has a hard time trusting men at this point for obvious reasons. And someone says, well, there's a few men that are bad apples, but most of them are good guys. Now, that's actually less offensive because the guy that raped her was a criminal, and everybody acknowledges that. Okay, The guy that raped her hopefully didn't have a badge in the authority of the state and a nightstick and a taser and a gun and pepper spray and a car and handcuffs right, paid for by taxpayers with which to carry out the crime. But I don't think there's anybody out there that wouldn't consider it extremely disrespectful. For it be to be refer to the person that committed rape to be referred to as a bad apple. Okay, let's look at it another way. We have this problem with illegal immigration. Yes, we do. It is a problem. It is a problem we have created for ourselves. But the American people must deal with it. 
coming across the border right now as a shitload of people that all they want is a better opportunity and a job. And they will do work that not all Americans won't do, but many Americans refuse to do. Okay? And they step up and they do that. And the majority of people that are coming here illegally are seeking a better opportunity. If they end up sucking on the government tit, it is our fault for making that even possible. If it were not possible, most of them would just be as productive as they can. Yet there's a significant portion of these people, and these people number in the millions. So a small portion, like 2 or 3%, is a shitload of people who are criminals coming in as criminals to engage in criminal activity, not because of happenstance, but from the very beginning. They are, judge they are joining gangs and part of gangs before they even get here, like the Northern Mexicans and the Southern Mexicans and the Latin Kings and MS-13 and many others. So would you tell a person who's neighborhood has been destroyed by these people or whose children have been harmed or hurt by these people or shot by these people, you know, the majority of immigrants coming in are good people. That's the true statement. The majority of law enforcement officers are good guys. Okay. We acknowledge, though, there's a few bad apples out there. A guy that joins the Latin Kings and shoots an innocent kid in a crossfire is a bad apple. He's not a bad apple. He's a criminal. Okay. Well, officers, a guy that puts on the same uniform you do, Where's the same badge you do? Kits up with all the equipment and all the force that you have at your disposal and then uses the badge, what is the authority of the state, to violate the trust of society is a criminal. They are not a bad apple. And if you say that, you are part of the problem whether you're willing to acknowledge it or not. If you won't call those among you who are criminals, criminals, then you are at least in some way mitigating what they do because of some bullshit concept of the thin blue line of law enforcement brotherhood. And it is bullshit. And until such time as you people will stop your bullshit and stand up and say that is criminal behavior and should be prosecuted as such the way you would with any other criminal activity at all, period, we have a lack of trust for you, and we will continue to do so. If the trust is important to you, like you say that it is, stand up and speak up. And even when you don't have to individually stand up and speak up, don't be a freaking coward apologist. When you see criminal behavior, call it what it is, oath-breaking criminal activity in need of prosecution. And if you won't do that, don't bother talking to me about it, because as far as I'm concerned, your word is crap. Your word is crap, because I guarantee you, if it was anybody else committing the same activity, you'd call it criminal behavior. But because it's one of your own, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. You're probably the same person going, where are all the moderate Muslims speaking up against extreme Muslims? Hey, where are all the, 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 the people that keep, where are all the law enforcement officers that keep their oath speaking up about those who break their oath? If you won't do it, say nothing. You're better off. Anyway, let's take another one. All right, what I'm about to play for you is something that's made its rounds on uh, Facebook quite a bit. Uh, this is Judge Jeanine Pirro, uh, who is some talking head from uh, Fox News. I don't watch your show. I don't know anything about this, P-Brain. But uh, apparently she created quite a stir with this. Uh, some people are seeing it for the fear-mongering it is. It's about a five-minute piece. I'm probably going to play about 30 seconds of it because there's a whole bunch of it that actually makes some valid points about how incompetent the current government is. Uh, but it's the lead-off that actually, well, I'll save it. 
uh, you're going to be surprised at what I'm going to tell you after you hear this, not by all of it, but by some of it. And I think over the next few years, you'll be surprised at the accuracy that uh, what I'm about to say comes to fruition with. I wish it wasn't so, but it is. And this is the bellwether. Even though it's this pea brain bringing it to you, um, make no mistake about it. News at the level of Fox News across the board, CNN, MSNBC, etc., is all coordinated. It's all propaganda. It's all controlled by only six different media companies. And they all say the same shit all the time. And this is the beginning of a new drumbeat. And anyway... Here you go. Judge Janine P. Brain Pirro on ISIS. So what should we do? Send in more troops to protect sacrifices already made? Cut a deal with the devil, Iran? Or let the Sunnis and Shias duke it out themselves? I've told you that you need to be afraid because they are coming for you. The ISIS assault, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria signals the beginning of the reverse crusade. They are coming for us. To them, we are the infidels. But I, for one, am not willing to let one more American die or come home with fewer limbs from that part of the world. Americans have shed enough blood there. My resolution? Airstrikes. Bomb them. Bomb them. Keep bombing them. Bomb them again and again. And I don't care how long it takes. Just take out ISIS, take out their convoys, and take out those troops. And even though our president says he didn't know, they told us they were coming for us. The head of this band of savages, Abu al-Baghdadi, was released by the Obama administration and started ISIS one year later in 2010. Now, on some levels, I should have played the whole thing, because if you believe in the red, white, and blue in the American way, this pea brain does a really good job of building up into this at the point at the end where you're thinking, yeah, bomb them, bomb them all, the bomb has got to go, bomb those people over there, which is the whole point of this thing. You almost have to watch this video, though, because when she said, they're coming for you, she points her finger at the screen like the famous Uncle Sam, I want you. So it's not that they're just coming to harm Americans. They're coming for you individually. They want to kill you. You, dear listener of the Survival Podcast right now, they're coming for you. This type of hysteria, hysteria and bullshit is just, it's nothing new. But it's reaching an all-time fevered pitch, and, and watch as it goes up. So this jackass, Abu Bakr al-Bahadi, whatever the hell, potty head, is, he's the latest, I mean, it's no, there's no doubt this guy is a scumbag, okay? There's no doubt that this guy, if, if he was allowed to walk into your house, would kill your kids. I'm not saying the guy's a nice guy or nothing, but we did let this guy go. And we knew exactly who he was when we let him go. Oh, it's due to incompetence. It's not due to incompetence. Listen, they need a boogeyman. They gave you a boogeyman, remember? We will raise the flag of Allah on the white. He's dead. Like I said he would be dead in a month. He was dead 48 hours later, right? So that guy, so they, they, they got to see. I'm going to read to you a little bit here about this guy, just so you can get this in your head. This is in the Washington Compost. Oh, Post, I mean. Anyway, how ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi became the world's most powerful jihadist leader. I don't know. Maybe we armed his, his, his group and put him in place. I don't know. But 
for all his power and newfound notoriety, there are only two authenticated photos of the man now called the world's most powerful jihadi leader. One shows a serious man with olive complexion and a round countenance. The other, released by Iraqi government in January, depicts an unsmiling bearded figure in a black suit. The image is cracked and blurry, as though someone has taken a picture of a picture. The murkiness of the photo of the man who calls himself Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is appropriate. Though he's the world's most dangerous man to time, and the new bin Laden to Lamunde, the man who orchestrated the sacking of northern Iraq's largest city today, controls a nation-sized swath of land, is a relatively unknown and enigmatic figure, and he's coming to get you, America. You are about to witness the decline of your nation's liberty at an accelerated rate. And this pea brain just told you how it's going to happen. This will be the mantra going forward. First of all, your current president will be made to look so incompetent by the end of his administration that people will say, "Gee, could we have Jimmy Carter back?" You don't think it's that bad? It will be. This will be. Remember the Iran hostages? I guess many of you are too young to remember that. But by the end of the Carter administration, Jimmy Carter looked like the most incompetent human being that ever stepped foot on planet Earth. Barack Obama is not incompetent. He is playing the fool just like the script reads. It is now time for him to go into his descent. He's gotten all of the progressive liberal crap done that they wanted done, except for the 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 amnesty of the illegal aliens, which will be brought to you by a Republican in the next administration. They know they can't get that done right now, so they've given up on that one, and they need to go back to building the police state to an even bigger police state. The new mantra will be bomb them, bomb them all. She's right about that. No more boots on the ground. No more American lives lost. Bring the troops home, but bomb them, bomb them with our own planes, bomb them with our missiles, bomb them, bomb them, bomb them. We've always been at war with East Asia. Yes, yes, yes. If some of you know what that means, okay? All right. Bomb them. But what they'll say is they are coming to get you. That's why we have to bomb them. And we're bombing them as much, many as we can, but there's still some of them are getting away. They escape because you can't do what this pea brain said. You can't bomb ISIS. ISIS isn't a country. ISIL isn't a country. They don't have a headquarters building with a flag on the roof. They don't work that way. The only way you can combat this type of of, of an enemy is with boots on the ground. But it won't be our boots. We'll just bomb the shit out of stuff and destabilize a whole region under the name of freedom. And then we'll continue to lather up the domestic threat. They're coming to get you. They're coming to get you. They're coming to get you. And they will seal the southern border. Oh yes, they will. It won't really be sealed, but it'll look sealed, and the average American idiot will believe that it's been sealed. We will trade amnesty for that. We will trade amnesty for that one more time. I don't care if you think we should. I'm not saying what we should do. I'm telling you what we're going to do. We will trade amnesty for that. The next administration will bring you a nation of cowards. You will purposely be manufactured into cowards that fear that they are coming to get. You. This is your bellwether. This is the canary in the coal mine. This is the beginning of a, mili- uh, a media salvo. You think we're going to bomb them? They're going to bomb the shit out of us with more fear than you've ever heard before in your life. And it'll work too because there will be people coming after not you but us as a whole. And I'll tell you why. What we are doing, bombing them with technology. Feeds the delusion of the radical Islamist who believes that Allah is truly on his side and the United States is the great Satan. 
It doesn't matter how many of his buildings you blow up. It doesn't matter how many of his people you kill. As long as he's still alive, he will hate you. And the more you blow up, the more he will hate you. And the more he will believe that his cause is just. And the more he will become willing to die for his cause. So sooner or later, we will manufacture and indeed a, a, a plethora of threats that will come after us in any way that it can. A couple of them might even manage to sneak across the southern border, probably with a little bit of help. I don't know, I'm just saying. And then when something does happen, they'll say, see, we need more. We need more. We need more. And you will see what we have now will look like romper room compared to the police state we will have six years from today. And it will all be done under the mantra of no more lost American lives overseas. Bomb them where we can, support those to do the work on the ground so we don't have to, it's their own mess, and secure our borders at home. It'll sound great, and I'll tell you what you'll find with that southern border being secure. It'll be easier for people from there to still get in than it will be for you to get out. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be the Berlin Wall. But I am saying that an American citizen going to or coming home from Mexico in this new America will undergo greater scrutiny than the illegal alien who will still just walk across the border. But we will be told the problem has been solved. The border has been sealed. Amnesty works. This is your future. What do you do about it? Deal with your own shit because you ain't going to change this. There are certain things that I witness the media do. And they always start out with some obscure thing like this. The natural gas boom that I called spot on to where it is today. I didn't get from the, from the news. I got it from a TV show called Last Man Standing with Tim Allen in it. The mother is a geologist who works with fracking. And the message in the end from there was fracking's bad, but it's the best we have for now. And that was long before people were really saying the natural gas boom was coming. There were inklings of it. And I went, see, that's how it starts. You'll have this whole facade of a fake resistance, but there's no real resistance to this at any meaningful level. There's people running around going, fracking's bad, man, but they're not organized. They don't have any money and they don't have any power. They might line up on the street, hold a couple signs up in the air and talk about how bad something is and get a few petitions circulated. They might even get a township to ban it here and there. But in the end, they are not going to make a dent in the overall production and everybody knows this. So the media has already geared up to convince America that the way to a cleaner, better energy uh, economy is with a combination, a combination of new sustainable resources and a migration away from dirty fuels like coal and oil to more and more use of natural gas. By the way, while they're continuing to mine the coal at levels that are equal to anything we've seen in the last 10, 20 years and far more than what we've seen in the last 10 years or 20 years. See, everybody thinks Barack Obama destroyed the coal industry. No. What happened under the Barack Obama administration is U.S. oil exploration and pumping has gone up. So there's less need for coal. And gas exploration and pumping has gone way up. So there's less need for coal. But there's been a very, very teeny tiny gnat's ass downturn in the total production of coal. And the coal production in 2014 will be higher than it was in 2012. How is this all related? Because they lie to you. They lie to you over and over and over again. And that which you most believe to be true, that which you will defend with the very core of your existence and being, is the greatest lie that's used to control you. 
What lie is that? It's the lie du jour, the lie of the day. When we need society to move a new way, we create a new lie for them to believe in it, and we continue to divide them on the lie. So we have two sides of the equation with both sides of the dichotomy. The people hate each other and blame each other for the problem, but in the end, they're actually supporting the same solution. Do you not understand that that's what's going on with ISIS and ISIL? You have the hardcore liberal Democrats, and I don't mean the politicians. I mean the people of America, the people that are dutiful voters that go to the polls and vote for Barack Obama and all of his wonderful associates saying, yeah, um, we need to not do this, but yeah, we got to bomb those guys. And you got the Republicans going, bomb them, bomb them all. So basically they hate each other. One is claiming to be pacifist. One is claiming to be war hawkish. But in the end, the solution of the average American is, yes, they're coming to get me. Yes, we must protect ourselves. Yes, we need greater security. Yes, we need to bomb them. The only debate is how shall we bomb them with how many bombs, how many times? And who should we get to do the bombing? So in the end, the people that hate each other, are actually pushing for the same solution, and your government is more than happy to give it to you, and they will create as many boogeymen as possible to make sure that you stay afraid. Because what we're supposed to believe, what we're supposed to believe is this, ladies and gentlemen, we're supposed to believe that this ass clown was in our custody as a suspected terrorist, and he was released in 2009. Well, the actual reality is if you dig into this and look for it, you actually can't confirm that this guy was in custody in 2009. What it looks like is he was in custody in 2004, and he was released long before Barack Obama even became president. But let's blame Obama for that because it's convenient because he's in charge right now. You see, this is the thing. Is it Bush that did it or is it Obama that did it? It's Either way, it's us that did it. It's the same show with a different puppet with a different hand up his ass on a different day. But one way or another, we're supposed to believe that we had control of this individual. Okay, you got to think about this. We brought this guy in for interrogation as a terrorist, uh, as part of Operation Iraqi Freedom and all of that there. And whether we let him go in 2009 or 2004 doesn't really matter. We never took any freaking pictures of the guy. The only pictures that exist are this one the Iraqi government came up that looks like a picture of a picture and some PR-looking photo of the guy being all stoic. And in all of the time of interrogating someone as a potential terrorist in Iraq, our government just couldn't figure out where the dadgone digital camera was to keep a record in a, a record and a jacket on this guy as to who he is, where he was, and where he was going. So I don't care who let him go. I don't believe for a minute that if we really had him, we didn't take his freaking picture. The United States government now has dossiers, jackets, and, 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 and complete files on just about every citizen in the United States of America. And I'm supposed to believe we went over to Iraq, captured this jackass, had him in our custody, never bothered to actually build up a dossier on the guy, let him go, and now we just can't figure out where the hell he's at. But guess what? He's the new Bin Laden. Um, I've seen this movie before. I know how it ends, and I don't want to buy popcorn to it. All right, You have got to start thinking for yourselves, America, because that's where this is going. That's where this is leading. A, a, an interventionist, isolationist hybrid. That's what you're about to see in U.S. foreign policy. We will continue to intervene under the guise of pleasing those with an isolationist mindset. 
Yes, an isolationist, interventionist hybrid. See, why should we have boots on the ground when our brave men and women can sit in ships and in the comfort of a pilot seat and bomb people from afar and know we're getting the right people with our precision munitions that blow the shit out of things like weddings where children are in attendance? Oh, wait, we'll just not talk about that one. Okay? Yeah. And, gee, these people are so evil. They're so evil. They're trying to get us. We need more security at home to prevent them from coming here. We'll go from we're fighting them there so that they don't come here to we need to make sure when they come here we're ready. That is the signal that was just given by this pea brain with a talk show on Fox News. And this is the one that no one will talk about. And a year and a half from now people will be going, how did we get to this place? And remember, when we do... I told you before it happened. Focus on your own lives, folks, because it's it's not going to change. Okay, continuing on in the uh, vein of Jack Ruined My Day, which is where I seem to be headed at this point. I might as well stick with it for a while. Let's talk about something that looked like a really good thing. Every once in a while, you get some hope. You see something happen, and you go, well, that is a good thing. And if we could only believe that they were genuine and real, that would be so much the better. So recently, we heard much ado about some really stellar young people in Colorado. Uh, some of the advanced placement history classes up there were kicking around the idea of training, changing the core curriculum. And that core curriculum was going to be changed to mitigate the role of civil disobedience in society and talk about allegiance to the nation, right? And these people, these young people said, no way. You're not censoring history. And all these students went out in the streets and these students protested. I wanted to believe it. I even did because I saw it on TV, so it must be true. It made sense. And it did seem like something they would try to do. But even though I was busy doing other things, even though I wanted to believe it, even though I posted a story about it to my own Facebook page for you guys to read, and I said good for these kids, somewhere in the back of my mind, was a gnawing sensation, almost like a little rat in my brain going, it's not real, Jack. It's not real, Jack. Something stinks. Here's what stunk for me. This is an awful lot of kids protesting over something like this when it affects advanced placement history students. There's really not that many advanced placement history students. And the advanced placement student, generally brilliant, but usually the biggest conformist amongst the whole thing. And there's so many, and there's so much going on, and so little has been done about it. Something isn't right. This must be encouraged by teachers in some way, and why would they do that when they're part of the state-driven apparatus themselves? Maybe, Jack, maybe they're the good teachers that want change, that are striving to get young people to be part of the solution versus just complaining about it and being part of the problem. Maybe this is something we can believe in, but the little rat kept gnawing right at the base of my brain going, it's not true, dude. Something stinks. Thank you to listener, and that listener is, uh, what is their name? Their name is Richard. Richard sent this to me, and it says, The real story behind high school protests in Colorado. <sighs> this is on csnnews.com, right-wing news right now. In spite of that, I actually think they've got this right. 
Many times if you want the truth about one group, look to the people that oppose them. They'll tell you the truth about them. Now, the same people probably have plenty of dirty laundry, and you can then turn around and ask the people that oppose them for the truth about them. But you can uncover things by looking at what the enemy of your enemy uh, is up to. So here we go. Um, a is for agitation, what's really going on in Jefferson County schools. There's a big battle brewing in Jefferson County, Colorado, School system, the manufactured controversy over proposed curriculum review, is generating national headlines. But the fight is not about what misguided students and biased reporters say it's about. Censorship is a red herring. The real issue is union control. Here's the do deal. Public school teachers in this Denver area district walked out of their classrooms this week to protest the implementation of performance-based pay. The Jefferson County School Board approved the new compensation system last week, which rewards the most highly effective teachers with 4.2% raises, effective teachers with 2.4% raises, and inferior teachers get nothing! Only 2% of the teachers receive no pay raises. So, even under this new scheme of things... Only 98% were either effective or highly effective. And that wasn't good enough for the teacher union. Nope. One fact, the grievance-mongering teachers conveniently left out of their uh, politicized pep talks to the student sympathizers. The board gave bonuses to 450 teachers who would have otherwise received no raises under the union's arbitrary step scale. The old system didn't take performance into any consideration at all. In other words, prior to this change of education in this school district in Colorado, the performance of the teacher was not evaluated at all when it came to giving them a raise. At all, at all, at all. Do you understand that? Okay. Despite the hefty rewards for teacher competence and excellence, disgruntled union leaders called for a strike last Friday, or as they prefer to whitelist it, a sick out. The big labor Avengers succeeded in shutting down two schools and enlisting students to protest with them. But the optics of robbing kids of valuable education time to protest an $18.2 million salary compensation package did not play well with taxpayers. Enter the censorship fake-out. At the same board meeting where the new pay system was approved, elected school board members heard a proposal to form a curriculum review committee. Under the state constitution, elected local school boards are responsible for instructional and curriculum matters. It's their duty. The proposal called for the creation of a new nine-member panel to review... Curricular choices for conformity to Jefferson County academic standards, accuracy and omissions, and to inform the board of any objectionable materials. The panel's first review items would be elementary health curriculum and AP U.S. history curriculum, which has undergone a radical revamp over the past few years. The chief architect of the A-Push revisions is David Coleman, a progressive ideologue who is also one of the prime movers and shakers behind Common Core Standards. Objections to the shoddy, intrusive, costly, top-down, backroom-designed Common Core agenda cross party lines. Rank-and-file teachers across the country have, devo- uh, have joined a diverse anti-Common Core coalition of parents, administrators, and scholars, grassroots activists, privacy ac- advocates, and anti-cronyism watchdogs. The Jefferson County School Board takes its, deliber- its deliberative role seriously. The proposal is the opposite of censorship. The debate over history standards is part of a wider battle 
battle between left-leaning militant union teachers who explicitly see their primary role as Sololinsky-trained political agitators and those who want to restore academic excellence, rigor, ideological balance in the schools. Okay, you can read the rest of this article if you want. It actually goes on for quite a bit longer, and you know me. I'm not championing either side here because I'm pretty opposed to the current educational system the way it is. I don't think we need to be fixing it. I think we need to be replacing it. But we have what we have, and what you've just seen is teachers, not just the union. No, the teachers were complicit in this, using children as pawns to their own agenda because they're pissed off that they're actually being judged on their performance. And they don't think that's fair, even though 98% of them still got raises. And apparently the best teachers got better raises because the real world is just something they can't handle. I'll tell you this. I stick up, when I come down on education, I stick up for teachers all the time. But a teacher that took part in this is a piece of crap. And that teacher does not deserve the privilege of educating your children. If your child was one of the child used as a pawn in this political nonsense, you should ask them if one of their teachers incentivized them in any way to go do this, to protest when the school was closed anyway. Uh-huh. And if they did, you should go to your school and demand, demand, demand that that teacher be removed from teaching and that your child be given the option to take the same course from a different teacher who didn't do it. Which might mean that you might find out there are no teachers to teach that course anymore, which really sucks, but maybe they'll go out and hire some that aren't scumbags that will use children as a pawn to their own agenda. Because that's what happened here. The protests you've seen were just as fake as the fast food workers' protest that never happened. Again, a protest... Is when you don't go do what you're supposed to do. At least these kids didn't go to school, but gee, the schools were shut down because the teachers did a sick out, so there was no school for the kids to go to anyway. So rather than screwing off like they should have and just said, hey, it's a day off, let me go do something fun, they went out and protested in the streets under the guise that they were standing up for what's right, preventing the censorship of history when they were actually being used by the teachers to make a point. We don't want to be judged on our performance in any way whatsoever. Yeah, America. I'm telling you, we have been had so many times, we can't even keep up with it anymore. And who wrote this article? Michelle Malkin. Not one of my favorite people. Not at all. But you know what? Good job on this one. Uh, the opinion that comes through is not really what I'm interested in. But the digging down to find the facts, this is what you need to start doing. If you want to know the truth about what's going on from the right or the left, Look for the people that from the opposition that dig into it. Get rid of all their opinion and read the facts that they uncover. And be willing to do it in both directions. You might actually start to discern the truth. It takes a little more work, but it's better than being a media zombie, which most Americans are. They'll choose the right or the left. There are plenty of people that would read Miss Malkin's work here and go, She's a great American. I'm not going to go that far. I'm just going to say... At least in this case, she's the enemy of my enemy. And therefore, her words might be friendly. That's it. Because I'm sure, I'm sure, people on the other side are doing just as much screwed up stuff. Because you know what? I'll tell you a big piece of who's behind this common core crap isn't, in the words of Miss Malkin, the liberal socialist democrat. <laughs> the right is just as behind this crap as the left at the political level. And I'll tell you a big reason why. 
the standardized tests, don't worry about whether they're good or bad. Realize what they represent. Billions of dollars. Billions. Like, like, like Dr. Evil, billions of dollars, right? Billions of dollars to the private industries that administer them. And they represent massive amounts of data that people like Yahoo and Bill Gates can use to demographically plan your child's future. Yeah, because they own the data by the agreements that they have with the school. Oh, do they? Do they really? Is that possible? No, they wouldn't do that. Would it? Uh-huh. Uh, let's hear from somebody else that I don't always agree with. Um, I think I agree with with this guy a lot of times, and then I really vehemently disagree with him at others. But I think that this individual is one of the most honest men in media. I, I don't have to agree with you to believe that you believe what you believe. And I've met this man face-to-face and shook his hand, and I believe he's a genuinely good individual. And he's doing the best he can with the knowledge he has and locked up in, in the piece of the dichotomy he's chosen for himself. But his name's Glenn Beck. And uh, I'm going to play a little segment from the Glenn Beck Show here uh, called Did Bill Gates Admit the Real Purpose of Common Core? And I'm going to come back and tell you why Glenn's right and he's wrong because it just ain't about Common Core, folks. It really isn't. It is about the Common Core is one problem. The standardized testing is not necessarily locked up in lockstep with Common Core. One does not necessarily exclude the other. I'll explain it when I come back. These people are taking the private, confidential information of your children. And amazingly, they're not even trying to hide it. They're not hiding it. (laughs) They're not hiding it. They don't even care that you know Bill Gates is pretty open and honest about it. And here's, uh, here's Bill Gates. Listen to this. In terms of standards, the state-led Common Core State Standards Initiative is developing clear, rigorous standards that will match the best in the world. Last month, 46 governors and chief state school officers made a public commitment to embrace those standards. This is encouraging, but identifying common standards is just the starting point. Right, listen. We'll only know if this effort has succeeded when the curriculum and tests are aligned to these standards. Secretary Arnie Duncan recently announced that $350 million of the stimulus package will be used to create just these kinds of tests. Think of that, $350 million from stimulus, $200 million now from Gates. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much from Yahoo. We're, and, but, and Google. But we're easily and, at six or seven hundred million right now. Yeah, we no, might be close to a billion dollars. No, it is it is it is stunning. And by the way, what Bill Gates is announcing, the the White House has in past said that's not true. We're not doing any of that stuff. We're not we're not standard, we're not doing any of that stuff. I mean yep. everything that and he's Gates talking just, about oh, he spills it all here. Yeah, and, and listen to what he's about to say. Next generation assessments aligned to the common core. When the tests are aligned to the common standards, mm-hmm. the curriculum will line up as well. Mm, good. And it will unleash a powerful market of people providing market. services for better teaching. Stop. Wait a minute. It will <laughs> unleash a powerful, powerful market, market for people looking to uh, um, learn how to teach the mm-hmm. children. And 
And so what they're saying here is... And also, by the way, how to market to these same children. Right. So what he's... what he, but, but Bill Gates is developing software that will be used in this. That's why he's investing all of this money. Because Microsoft will be able to, to own and sell all of the software for this particular system. So they've really invested in let's get this let's get this system through because look how much money we have a powerful quote a powerful new market. Mm-hmm. Now can you imagine saying that about anything else? Imagine if McDonald's said or Coke or Pepsi. Yeah, we we've got oh, a geez. if we can just get this through our charitable arm of Coca-Cola has put in all of this stuff in 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 lunchrooms because It'll be good for the kids to get healthy, but it also will provide us a powerful new market. This is an amazing, it's amazing moment of honesty from Gates because normally he would sell this, I would think, in that um, I really believe in this because no, I think our, he does. Kids, our, our kids are, are in, will grow up to be better employees and, and they'll be able to work at uh, Microsoft and we'll have more skilled, trained employees right. in the future. But that's think the about way what I'd doing. be selling it think if I'm investing $200 million. We have, but see, that's He's really, talking about his market. But that's even more evil, I think. That's that's even more evil. That is saying that these corporations... I don't think people mind a trained employee could we, force. Could we, could we just look at that, though, for a second? Because it, on the surface, that does sound good. <laughs> then, well, are they going to train for a job? Okay, you've got a corporation yeah. training people not by choice. Not by choice. If let's say let's say the Glenbeck School of Broadcast. If if you want to come to the Glenbeck School of Broadcast, you can come to the Glenbeck School of Broadcast and I, you know, I'll teach your kids about history and everything else all the way up and, and, and because it will provide great new reporters for the Blaze, great new filmmakers for the Blaze. That's great. That'd be your choice. Mm-hmm. But if Glenbeck was putting in all of this money and dumping it in because I say I'm going to have all these new trained workers and I'm going to help design the curriculum and everything else. If I and a group of other industrialists were all getting together and saying, let's do this because this is going to be good for us, that's evil. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's evil. That's one of the aspects of this Common Core thing we haven't really talked about much is that part of this plan is to pigeonhole the kids into a certain line of work. Of work. By the time and they're going they're to in decide, like, by the time they're in junior high or yeah, something, like sixth school, grade. The plan is to know whether they're going to be a technician or a mechanic it is or communism. a doctor. Yeah, and, it and, is communism. Yeah, it is communism. Okay, and I, I didn't want to play too much of that, so I cut it off before five minutes. I don't want to make the Jack Spearco Survival Podcast uh, Glenn Beck, my, uh, my associate uh, commentator, producer, and, and run 15 minutes of stuff there. It's really worth listening to the whole thing, though. I almost went a little further, but I figured I'd just tell you about it. The next thing that comes out of Gates's mouth is, for the first time in history, we'll have this huge group of uniform customers to sell to and market to. Those are your children, folks. That That's how this is seen. But I also told you I would tell you where Glenn Beck is wrong. You think Common Core is really at the, the core of this. Common Core is just one means to get to this end. In Texas, we do not have Common Core. 
Uh, Governor Perry, the rogue governor who stands up against the feds, said, no, we should not do your common core. It actually was a kind of a happenstance because it had to do with stimulus money and certain contingencies that you had to do if you took the stimulus money. And Perry, to his credit, you know, even though he's kind of a complete douchebag, did say, no, we're not going to be on the hook for that. And kind of common core got pushed out with it. Just saying, this is how things really happen sometimes, and you're not told. But no, we do not have common core curriculum in the state of Texas. Does that mean that the state of Texas doesn't have standardized testing? Uh, no. Wah, wah, as they say, yes. Um, uh, Texas has had standardized testing for a very long time. When my son was in school, they had what was called the tax test. The tax, you know, it almost sounds like taxes, but it's T-A-K-S, Texas Assessment of Knowledge and Skills. Standardized testings that were used to terrorize my A, B son. Yes, A's and B's, mostly A's, all through school. Constantly worried if he didn't pass the tax test, he wouldn't go to the next grade because, I don't know, their teachers told them that every other freaking day. You know what? A straight-A student doesn't need to be worried about passing a tax test, and no matter how much I told him, stop worrying about it. He worried about it all through school because when your teacher tells you to worry about something every freaking day, well, you tend to worry about it. And by the time he graduated, at least he had figured it out, and he said, you know what? If you can't pass that damn thing, you shouldn't be graduating. But all through middle school and what have you, he was you know, worried that he wouldn't pass the tax test. Because they was told, if you don't pass, doesn't matter if you get straight age, don't graduate. It's the kind of insidious crap done with these things. Well, we got rid of the tax test. So Texas doesn't do Common Core. Got rid of the standardized, oh, but you don't really get rid of something if you just change the name. See, Texas now has the, I shit you not, the STAR test. Yes, the State of Texas Assessments of Academic Readiness Test, which is another standardized test. Now, do, do you really think that the same kind of data analysis and uh, the same type of private companies running these and making money off of them and extrapolating your your, your students' private data isn't going to happen in states without Common Core? Common Core, by making it a common test with a common database, just makes it easier to analyze and use. But, you know... There are multiple mafia families out there with all of this, but this is the truth, that it's not just Common Core. Common Core is the latest piece of crap uh, built by our educational system. And by the way, I just put out a video on this. I'll put a link in today's show notes about it. The real reason for Common Core, I think the biggest reason for Common Core is simply that it allows the schools to rein in control of the student's education and keep the parent out of it. Remember what I said before, schools and teachers often say they want parents involved in education, but they don't mean it. They don't mean it. Involved in education would be helping your children learn. They want you involved in what? The behavior component of education. They want you to back the teacher every time, even when the teacher's wrong. They want you to tell your student to sit in the chair, do what they're told, shut up and not ask questions. To do the work the way they're told, and yes, the work's really important, and you'll use it someday. They want you to lie to your children on behalf of the state, and they want you to control and regulate your student's behavior, and if your student won't be controlled, they want you to go get drugs from your doctor and put them in your child so that the child will conform to what the state wants. That's what school 
schools say want when they say they want parents involved in education. They don't want you actually teaching your children. They want children to believe that teachers are magical special beings, even more powerful than unicorns, and instead of farting rainbows, they're able to do what others cannot. Teach people to add two plus two. Yes. That's why they have common core. When I was a kid and I was in like high school taking advanced math classes like calculus and what have you, we were doing it differently than my father was. So when I asked him for help, he couldn't really help me. He could tell me how to get the right answer, which I also could do. What I struggled with was the methodology being forced on me to get the answer the way they said I was supposed to get the answer. Okay. Well, now we have things like this. There's a word problem you can watch in the video, but basically it works like this. You have to figure out what, um, I believe if I remember right, the actual problem was 90 divided by 18, which anybody with a brain could figure out relatively quickly is 5. But the way that they had, the students in fourth grade math, by the way, had to do this problem involved 108 steps. They had to draw 18 circles and make 90 hash marks and go through the circles five times, and then they would understand that 90 divided by 18 is 5. Now, here's the problem. If you send my kid, if I still had kids young enough to be in fourth grade, home to me and say, uh, there's a class, there's um, 18 students, the class sits in a circle and counts around, which is how this word problem went. When they get to the 18th student, the 18th student says 90 and they're correct how what integrate you know what number were the, was the class counting by so if it was by two they'd say two four six eight five five ten fifteen twenty okay like that so if you send that home to me and my kids struggling with that i can absolutely explain it to them and help them figure out how to do it no problem look you got 18 all right and what number did they get to 90 okay so you take 90 and you divide that by 18 you understand division if your teachers taught you that great so see how this works I can show them how to do it. I can show them little ways to do it quicker even, like rounding up and doing some simple mental algebra. But I can, I can help my student. If they come home and there's terminology that basically says that I'm supposed to draw circles and hash marks and I don't get the terminology because it's newfangled stuff, I can't help them. And then I have to say you're going to have to ask your teacher. And I have to take all my power and give it back to the state. That's the big thing behind Common Core standardized testing is just a piece of that beast. We can have, we can get rid of Common Core tomorrow. Standardized testing will still be a huge business and a huge way to pigeonhole your students and a huge way to get confidential information about them and begin to map out marketing programs for our kids when they're barely out of diapers. That's what this is really all about. But, you know... Is that a conspiracy theory, or did the guy that put $200 million of his own money into it just tell you that with his own words? Let's go on to something else. But hey, I mean, Jack, you can't be right about all this stuff. The government can't really, really be this much in control and in this much consort with with, with government. I mean, with the industry, can they? I mean, there has to be some place where the private sector fights back a little bit. Yeah, um... Well, Apple and Google recently have done some things to help you have greater privacy. Yeah, they, especially Apple. Um, and apparently, uh, this has pissed off the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The, the fact that you would have greater privacy with what you do with your iPhone pisses off the FBI. Can't make this stuff up. Uh, this is on uh, triblive.com. And uh, here's the article. FBI director tells off Apple and Google. Washington, 
FBI Director James Comey has sharply criticized Apple and Google for developing forms of smartphone encryption so secure that law enforcement officials can't easily gain access to information stored on the devices, even when they have valid search warrants. His comments on Thursday were the most forceful yet from a top government official, but echo a chorus of denunciation from law enforcement officials nationwide. Police have said that the ability to search photos, messages, and web histories on smartphones is essential to solving a range of serious crimes, from murder to child pornography and attempted terrorist attacks. You have to, so just pause a second, right? You always have to, this in this day and age, put in uh, terrorist attacks. I, I want you to understand something. I look Look at things for patterns. I'll go back to the article in a second, but I want you to understand this. I have a background in marketing and business, okay? And I've seen plenty of business plans and proposals for capital. People come to you and say, I have a business. I want you to fund it. In, in my case, I don't really have the money to fund somebody's business, but I worked for people who had money to fund businesses, so they would bring me in to give them my opinion on whether or not it made sense, And as different things came in and out of vogue, you would see certain bit buzzwords in any proposal for capital. So when you get into Web 2.0 realm, things like exciting social media interface, okay? It didn't matter what business you were looking at, that phrase had to be inserted into a proposal if it was anywhere in the web space to get the venture capitalists and the people that vet things to pay attention. There were certain things that were expected. And it all became a game and a bunch of bullshit. It's been going on forever. So I would actually immediately key in on those phrases and go, bullshit, 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 what does this do? And how do you plan to acquire customers for it? I don't want to hear buzzwords. I don't want to hear marketing speak. But you'd see the buzzwords. Okay, um, if I want to frighten you into believing you need my protection in government, the buzzwords that I need today are murder, children, terrorism. All right? And in this case, I chose the child thing to be pornography. Okay? I could have said child molestation, but that doesn't really work for a phone, so pornography made sense. But I want to make sure that I get in murder, children, terrorist. That, that, that has to be there. This is formulaic. I must, I must hit your buzzwords, right? Terrorism. Terrorism. It's been a buzzword since 9-11, but it's become much more a buzzword. Like, this is like a prospectus to get your buy-in, just so you understand that, okay? And then back to the article. So let me read that last piece again so you can hear the buzzwords now. Um, Police have said their ability to search photos, messages, and web histories on smartphone is essential to solving a range of serious crimes from murder to child pornography to attempted terrorist attacks. There they are. Quote, there will come a day when it will matter a great deal to the lives of people that we will be able to gain access to such devices, Cromie told reporters in a briefing. Quote, I want to have that conversation with one-eighth conversation one-eighth with companies responsible before that day comes. I don't know there's a bad misprint, something wrong in the browser here, but I want to have that conversation with companies responsible before that day comes. Cromley added the FBI officials have made initial contact with the two companies, which announced their new smartphone encryption initiatives last week. He said he could not understand why companies would market something expressly to allow people to place themselves beyond the law. You can read the rest if you want to. But basically what Apple and Google are saying To, to their markets are, listen, we totally collaborate 
with the government. We're totally part of PRISM. We totally screw you guys over all the time, but we do want you to keep spending your money with us, so we'll make a concession. We'll at least develop an encryption so your phone itself is protected from people that might want to know what you're doing and get information about you. That could be the government. That could be law enforcement. That could be some guy that gets your phone and wants to use it for identity theft. So we will, we will at least acknowledge that the device you hold in your hand is worthy of you deciding who gets to see what on it. And if the government wants to get a search warrant, search your phone, it's up to them to get you to testify against yourself and give them that information. We'll do that. Now, here's the thing. We're totally screwing you. All right? Think about this, right? So <laughs> this is such a pantomime, okay? But, okay, because because Google and Apple are basically saying this about your phone. Well, your provider knows everywhere you've been on your phone, everywhere you've gone with your phone, every time you've turned it on. Every time you log on to a network through a node and, and do anything, there's a record of it kept by AT&T, Sprint, Verizon, etc., Apple and Google are saying, hey, we just make the platform for the phone and the phone itself, so we'll at least protect that. So the police officer could still get the information with a valid warrant because they could still subpoena the information from the providers who are already making that available that information available to the federal government through the PRISM program where it's all being kept at a data center in Salt Lake City and in Maryland. Okay, so all that data already exists. It just doesn't exist with the ability of local law enforcement to obtain it from a phone. They'd actually have to go through proper channels to get to it, if that even is really required. And this pisses off the FBI, because there is at least some data on that phone that may not be on the network. Yet, anyway, um, your pictures aren't necessarily anywhere connected to the Internet at all unless you've chosen to do that. If you make notes, if you have documents, if you have any type of instructions, anything that's actually just on the hard drive of the phone itself that you're not putting across the network, well, it might be really hard to get into that. Just like if you use something called TrueCrypt on your computers and your laptops, which, by the way, probably should do. Then the government would have to come in and go, tell us how to get in here. No. We have a warrant to search your phone. Knock yourself out. Search your brains out. And they'll even point to precedent where a judge ordered that a man did not have a right to not disclose the password to his laptop, okay, and said he was in contempt of court if he didn't give the password for TrueCrypt to his computer because they had a warrant to search his computer. His attorney stood up and said, you're making my client testify against himself. And they said, no, we're making you comply with a search warrant. And so the smart thing, though, would be to say, I don't remember what it is. You have to prove that I do remember what it is. Good luck with that. To hold me in contempt or say that I'm committing perjury, you'd have to prove that I do, in fact, know the password to the computer. Don't remember. Don't remember. I just don't remember. Oh, did you guys try to get in there? Yeah. That deleted it from the one place I had it saved where I could get to without it. I, I don't know. It's a long, you know, I was following proper security protocol. So why do you think the FBI is actually upset about this? Do you, do you think they're really upset about the specific application? I mean, because the truth is that given that, like, Android and iPhone all use apps, that if somebody really wanted to, they could develop an app for this without it being Google or Yahoo, Google or Google or, or uh, Apple. These guys just have the horsepower to get it done really fast and really well. Of course, they're also the ones that have the code. They're the ones that have the base code. So if 
they wanted to give law enforcement the ability to crack the encryption, they would have the ability to do so. And they might provide that to their contacts, you know, through PRISM at the federal level, so that the federal law enforcement remains with even greater control over local law enforcement. It requires greater cooperation between the two as we move toward a more nationalized police force and police state. See? See how it all works? So you have Apple and Google here and other companies doing things that do appear to provide greater security and protection. And hell, it probably works better than nothing, so you might even want to use it. But in the end, this whole fight between the FBI director and Google and Apple is nothing but a bunch of pantomime bullshit. Because all of the data that they have available is already being disclosed at the top level, again, through the PRISM program. Google is a member of PRISM. PRISM is the program where the government spies on everything you do online. And Google reports all of your information to the federal government and then says we're going to develop encryption technology to help you protect the data on your phone. It's all a game, folks. It's all a game. It's all marketing. It's all buzz speak. Murder, child pornography, attempted terrorist attacks. Please, please wake up. Please understand that your only future is thinking for yourself, independent thought, critical analysis, and building your own future. Because the herd is headed in the direction the people in power want the herd headed. You're not going to turn it around anytime soon. You're going to have to be a rogue to be successful in the next 20 years, at least. Let's take another one. I am tired of ruining your day now, so I'm going to try to do a few uplifting things toward the end of the day and talk about solutions and how they work. Um, this comes from Matt, and I'm going to read his whole email here. I think you'll enjoy it. And It says, Feedback for Jack, my homeschool wake-up call. Okay, Jack, I have to be honest. My wife dragged me into homeschooling, kicking and screaming this year. I'm having to work extra, and financially, it's definitely harder than when she worked. But I've got to tell you about this one example of what I'm already, um, I see already happening in my kids' daily lives. Today, I drove my three teenagers to a ballroom dance class of all things. I know. I groaned when I heard about it, too. But holy crap, there were about a hundred kids there of different ages and ability levels. My football playing 10th grader danced with 20 or so different girls of varying ages, attractiveness, and social strata. My 8th grade daughter did the same with an, and absolutely loved every minute of it, whether dancing with her brother or many of the other dance partners. Meanwhile, my morbidly shy 17-year-old introvert asserted himself beyond anything I've ever witnessed with him putting himself at the front of the line of boys-seeking partners. You see, he quickly observed that the most attractive, assertive girls did the same, and he immediately saw the drawbacks of being timid. This all happened in the very first class, by the way. At the teacher's instruction, the boys went from their side, introduced themselves to a new girl, and danced. Afterwards, the instructor would have them lead her back and say thank you. With each new partner, they interacted with someone new, Older with somewhat younger, some older with somewhat younger, attractive kids with more awkward kids, less skilled with better dancers, rural kids with upper middle class suburbanites. My daughter talked about dancing with someone of uh, some of the advanced kids since she was new. These boys helped her learn steps she didn't know, and then she also danced with some shorter, younger looking boys. 
I was a public school music teacher for 10 years, and honestly, the kids in this dance class are getting more positive social interaction than a lot of kids get in an entire year of public school. For some, maybe their entire school experience. They have to be able to approach someone new, speak to them, interact in a potentially frustrating and difficult task, and then say thank you and do the same thing with someone new over about two hours. Of course, all of this was facilitated by a business, the dance studio, and put together through free association of willing participants in homeschool organization. I couldn't help but think, why the heck isn't all school done this way? These parents do their own independent teaching and then get together and do things they want like this class and the football and volleyball teams my kids participate in. Of All of our interactions are just so much less cliquish among parents and students. Just completely different vibe. I really felt my kids were treated like cattle by the schools before and basically abused by other kids. Even my really confident, popular kid hated school. I feel like they're kind of been set free by not being trapped with so many kids their own age. And instead of being socially stifled, they're actually getting a richer social experience. Love the show. Thanks for all you do, Matt. And see, what gets glossed over there is the acknowledgement, yes, but what makes this really work was the voluntary association. That is the whole key. This is why homeschooling and everything that goes with it is working better today than public school. It's not that organized schools, public schools, etc. cannot work. It's they cannot work with the system that we have. You cannot have a system where students are told which schools they will go to, which teachers they will have, which courses they will take, exactly what they will learn, and exactly what is and is not acceptable. Well, gee, how else would you run a school? Oh, I don't know, like the free market? But then the poor kids wouldn't get to go to school. Oh, bullshit. That's crap. We could totally run a public education system on a free market model, and we would very quickly push out the poorest performing teachers, the poorest performing schools, and we would very quickly develop very different pathways for people of different mindsets And the students that went to those schools would shape the curriculum from which they learn. How would that work, you ask? Dare I say, very, very easily. I mean, the simplest mechanism would be just to say that anybody that wants to start a school can, and that they can charge whatever they want to, and any student who chooses to go to a school outside of the public education system can take part of the money the state would have spent on them and use it for their own private education. I don't know, say 60%. That would actually leave more money behind for the students that stay in the system. And it'd be interesting to see as more and more dollars per student were spent, how you would see a continuous flood of students out of that system into a place where people had to actually compete for the student and the parent's business. You could even do it on a fully public model. You could simply say that schools have a very small uh, list of requirements, basic, basic math, basic reading, etc. But the methods and the testing and everything is completely individual. That every school has a right to, to set up their own curriculum. Teachers are free to teach in the manner that they see fit. And students can choose which school they go to. And when you have students saying, I don't want to go to this school and there's no more room left in the good schools, maybe the shitty schools will get rid of those teachers and find some good ones. I'm just saying. This is why public education is screwed. Because there is no voluntary association. It's 100% compulsory. Teachers are taught exactly how they're supposed to teach with very little independent choice into how and what they teach. Okay, So first of all, the teacher is not really in voluntary association with the student 
or even the school. A teacher needs a job, they find a job, and just like a job on an assembly line, the teacher is dictated to exactly how they'll do their job. So that's not voluntary association. That's a required association so that the teacher can earn a living. Okay, It's worse for the student, though. The student and the parent of the student don't even get to decide whether they even want to go to school or not in the current state-based paradigm. They either are required to enter the state system, enter a qualified private institution, or jump through whatever hoops the state says so. And let's face it, in our modern day and age where people don't have a lot of money and only have so much free time, most of the people are just going to say, you got to go to school because that's what they say. So the student has no choice whatsoever in what teacher they have, what school they go to, or when they start their learning, or how fast they move through their learning. For some students, it's way too fast, and for some students, it's way too slow. There's no voluntary association at all there. What do we call a place where lots of people go to big buildings with stone walls against their will and are told what to do, when to do it, and how to behave? Oh, we call those jails and prisons. Oh, no, they're also schools. Now, I know that your kid's school is not a supermax. Okay, yet, anyway. And it's not as bad as going to prison, but the, but the, the similarities are eerie. You want to go to the bathroom? Raise your hand. Don't conform? We have our own justice system. That bears no resemblance to justice in the real world. You realize schools have no justice. The justice system in school doesn't really bear any resemblance to the true justice system. If I punch you in the face in school, I get detention. If I punch you in the face in the real world, I'm going to jail for assault. And you as a victim will never be told, hey, you just need to get along with Jack. It's okay that he punched you in the face. Now, look, I'm not suggesting that when one kid hits another kid in the face that we send the other kid to jail. I'm just saying... You're going to make allowances for kids, but don't tell them it's the real world. But of course this worked better. Now, do you think it's 100% voluntary association? Do you think every kid that went to that, that ballroom dancing thing was like, I'm going to go to ballroom dancing? No. But at least they knew it was their parents' choice. And they were probably told, hey, you're going to do this as part of all these other things you're doing. And they probably got something in return. Hey, you want more free time for independent study? We need to work on your social skills. I need you to go do this. And then once they get there, here's the thing. You put boys and girls together, you give them an opportunity to associate with other boys and girls by their own choice, all of a sudden you start to get through to them. This is a wonderful thing. I have to admit, it's not my thing. And when I was a kid, ballroom dancing would have been tough to get me involved with. But here's the thing. The kid that really, really, really decides, I don't want to go there, and the parent that says, you know what, I'm not going to make you go there. How many other choices do they have? They have thousands of other choices. The only way we're actually going to turn education into what it can be is by going with a voluntarist model in education. You can make all kinds of cases against voluntarism, some people would say anarchism, in so many ways in the world, where you can actually make a case to me as to why it won't work now. Even though I think it could work, it won't work now. You know, Voluntarism with public roads, okay, fine. You cannot make a case to me that voluntarism will not work in public education. Because when you say, what about the children left behind, I will point to millions of children being left behind right now. Millions of children not learning right now. So for you to tell me that we have to do this 
because the other way won't work. You're going to have to tell me, first of all, that this works, and I can show you that it does not. And I can show you voluntarist styles of education all over the world working right now. So that's uplifting to me that we have people doing this type of thing now. And I, I really think it's kind of cool because I would have never thought this ballroom dancing thing would have worked out. Seeing how it played out, I probably would have shoved my kid into it. And we would have made a deal about him having a good attitude about it. I have a feeling one or two times he might have actually got quite a bit out of it. Let's take another one. This is a really great quote. It's from another Matt. And Matt says, this is from the late John Seymour. Give a man an acre of desert and he will make it into a garden. Rent a man an acre of garden and he will make it into a desert. Um, I don't know that the rent and, and gift is really that big of an impact as to what's going on here, but I get this quote for you. They get this quote uh, really, really well. And basically what the real meaning is, is if someone believes that their future is tied to something, then they will be very good stewards of it. But if they feel that what they have is only useful to them now, they will be poor stewards of it. That if I give you a vested interest in the future of anything, you will come at it with a farming model, improving it, cultivating it, producing from it, trying to make it last. If I give it to you only for a time in your mind, then you will say, what can it give me now? And you will mine it. And I think a lot of the problems in our society are from that mining mentality. People get jobs today, and, and I hear from, I fear from people that employ people all the time. A lot of times bitching about the younger generation and what have you, and we've talked about that a lot recently. But they only want what they can get out of it. They only want what's in it for them. Well, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? You know, and fellow entrepreneurs, they think I'm going to understand them. They, they really like, what? Well, why, why wouldn't they? What have you done to convince them that their loyalty, is, it, you're, you're worthy of their loyalty? Well, I've offered them a job. So have plenty of other people. What assurances do they have that if they give their all to you, that you're going to be loyal to them? What vested interest do they have in the future of your company? Did you offer them options? Even with contingencies, there are certain metrics that have to be made, you know. And even if you did, do they believe in the future of your company? Are you, have you have you sold them on the vision of what you're doing? Do they really believe in what you're doing, or do they just have a job? In a day and age where people have learned that companies aren't loyal to people, well, what what do you expect from an employee? They might do a good job and they might work really hard, but in the end, they're like, hey. This is just what I have for now. So they're not going to put their entire future in your company because they don't believe that you believe in their future, that you are committed to their future. Because in most instances, companies and company ownership isn't. So the association is temporary, and therefore both the employer and the employee mine each other's resources. And you wonder why time on the job continues to decline over and over and over again. But I like that quote, and it's a, it's a good one to think about how to design things sustainably, including businesses. So what that means to me is if I want to build a business today, that I have to make my customers and my partners 
and employees if I have them, feel that my success is their success if I want to be successful and if I want loyalty. And I'll tell you what, if I want loyalty, I should have to do that. Why should you in this audience be loyal to me if you don't believe I'm loyal to you? I think I've proven that over the years. There's people that find this show every day, and you don't know my track record yet. You're, you're new to the community, new to the show. The people who have been around will tell you that whenever pushes come to shove, I've had people's backs. And I've stayed true to what I've promised to stay true to. So that, that over time earns loyalty. How many businesses work like that today? Why would an employee be loyal to a company if they don't believe the company is going to be loyal to them? So if you're going to design that company, you have to design loyalty into the company. Think about that. Have you ever even heard that before? When, when you're coming up with a business plan to launch a new company, design loyalty into the foundation of the company. See, the reason you don't is you, you hear words like customer loyalty, employee loyalty. But to design loyalty in, it has to start with who? The designer. Design loyalty into your companies. Design loyalty into your parenting. Design loyalty into all of your interactions. See, and that's why I love the concept of voluntarism. Because you have to design loyalty into voluntary associations. And if not, they have to be specifically temporary and specifically understood as such. So I might contract you to build my deck, and I'm expecting your loyalty for the duration of the contract, and you're expecting my loyalty to be a decent client and to pay you for your services rendered, and at such times, boom, we're done. Now there might be some residual loyalty, and when I need new work done, if you did a good job the last time, I'll bring you back the second time, but day to day, we're not loyal to each other. I'm not out every day trying to find you a new job. And you're not out every day trying to find me service providers for the things you don't do. You're busy doing your thing, and I'm busy doing my thing. But if you're going to have a company that builds decks, and you want me to work for you, then you have to, if you want me to be loyal to you, you have to design loyalty into the company. And that means the loyalty has to start with the designer. That is so awesome. And the reason that's so awesome is because it actually can be done. And in a society where people are becoming more and more out for themselves, that type of thing will work better than it ever has before. There's a lot of ways it can be done. But anytime you see yourself with a decision about how to set something up, whether it's a charitable organization, whether it's an event, whether it's an association, whether it's a company, a business, a department within a company, I want you to think about that quote from now on. Give a man an acre of desert and he will make it into a garden. Rent a man an acre of garden and he will make it into a desert. Take all the permaculture stuff out of it if you don't want to and just understand what it's really saying is you give a man a belief that what he has in front of him is temporary and doesn't really belong to him and he will take all that he can get from it for the time that it's available. But if you give a man a stake in something, and he believes that his future, and maybe the future of his children is tied to it, he will protect, cultivate, and develop it. And when you are building things in this world, what type of people do you want to be associated with? You want loyalty? Design loyalty into the system. And I can tell you another little 
little, little leak here. I'm doing that right now. I have something coming. Very, very soon you'll see the first, the first little glimpses of it. But that's what we're doing. We're trying in many ways, myself and the people I work with on, on different levels, to not just bitch about problems, but to solve them. That's so what we're doing with Permaethos. We're working to prove that these things can work, that they do work, and they can be done, and to educate people so that people can go do it for themselves. But I have something coming next that's far more universal, that a person that couldn't care less about planting a tree or a bean or a seed will be interested in. If you value the future generations, you'll like what we're coming up with. And I really believe, and this again harkens back to what it's really all about, and I'm sorry I have to just slowly leak this to you, but I do. It's, it's part of the way we have to develop this. I really believe, though, that it's very difficult for you to have a positive outlook to your future if you don't know where you're going. And I believe the only way you can know where you're going is to know where you've been, how you got to where you are, and where you're at now. And then you can put eyes on the future. You can put eyes on the future and say, I'm doing today for the purposes of a better tomorrow. Okay? And, and that there's no way that a person can truly have a meaningful contribution to society, a meaningful contribution to those they care about, if they're only thinking about today, that we have to have eyes to the future to do great things in the present. Period. And if we don't do that, it's not gonna happen. That's why I thought this quote was so awesome, because it hits home with that. But the truth is that many of us are as lost as the millennial generation. We grew up at a time when families fell apart. Men were basically told, shut up and go to work and don't share your feelings. And many of us in our 40s, 50s, and 60s have questions we can't even ask our parents anymore. Answers that will never come. Or the years between the question and the answer have jaded the answer to whether neither one of us will really understand each other. And only if we could go back to when we were 15 and ask our father why and get a sincere answer. We might know where we've come from. And we might know where we are. And therefore, we might be able to know where we're going. Doesn't seem possible. There are things that are not possible anymore in that world. There are questions that will never be answered. Some of the people you may have questions for aren't here anymore or can't answer them anymore. Or would open up old wounds at this time that are best left closed. Sometimes you can still get the answer. That's an individual choice. But we can change things now. That's what I'm working on. Stay tuned. Pay attention. I know I said there'd be a little place to get a window into it by the end of this last week. It, it hasn't happened yet. It will be this week. There'll be a place where you can start getting some inside information about this. And I really think that, who, that, that the person that sent me this quote, Matthew, who I won't give his last name, you, you've given me a great gift, sir, by, by sending me this quote. It's many times that you're on the right path, and, and, and you need two things. One, you need confirmation. And synchronicity, I believe, delivers that confirmation at times. But you also need, like, how do I explain it and how do I take it to another level? I feel like you gave me that with this. And it is pure synchronicity. I mean, I've been actually holding on to what we're finally doing in my head since 1998. Since 1998. 
And this came in three days ago, this, this quote. I love this quote. I'm going to have to look up this John Seymour dude and see who he is and what he's all about. Anyway, with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Show you.